Welcome back to Making It Work in Montana. I'm David Boy, your host. As we've stated before, I own Black Diamond Mortgage and I've been living in Montana since 1996. Making It Work in Montana is an opportunity for me to share with you and other listeners about all the amazing people that I've been able to meet that have made a life for themselves in Montana. Today, I've got a good friend of mine that I've known for about a decade and a lot of cool things that we can talk about. It's actually tough to narrow it down to just the scope of this show. But our guest today is a dual citizen. He um, flies airplanes. He has actually recently was contracted with a buddy to go get a plane in Alaska and fly it down here because he's into that kind of thing. He recently, uh, in the last few years, completed a, basically it was like a world record type situation, something that hadn't been done before, precisely pole to pole circumnavigation in an airplane with some friends of his. He's also run successfully a multinational payment processing company that's based in Whitefish, Montana, that's global in scale. He's raised two children, is married, and uh, consistently spent his life actually working on a global scale. And my guest today is Giuseppe Caltabiano. Hello, David. Hello, everybody out there. Did I pronounce your name right? Close enough. Close <laughs> enough. Known each other a long time. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I wanted to hit on a couple of things. Uh, first of all, just give us a brief overview of how, where you grew up, where you got started, and, and how you made it to Montana. Yeah, absolutely. That will take 10 hours. <laughs> so uh, I was born in Italy, and my family is from the south, from Sicily. So some people say I'm not Italian, I'm Sicily. Uh, grew up in Italy, um, graduated, I have a doctoral degree in electronics, computer science, out of Milan. Then I went in the Navy. I'm a Navy officer from the Italian Navy, where I understand the food and the wine are better than the American Navy. So that's a good place to be a military guy. Uh, went in business uh, right after the Navy. And at 31 years of age, um, I joined a company called Verifon, which moved me to London, UK, to manage uh, an area of business called Europe, Middle East and Africa. And that's when my travel uh, started, my traveling life started. After that, they promoted me to run similarly to what I did in Europe, a different area. They called it Asia Pacific, which means uh, anything from India to Guam, east to uh, west, from New Zealand to northern China, south to north. I based myself in Singapore and I lived there for a few years. At that point, I met my wife, an American citizen, Jamie, and we started our family out there. After Singapore, we moved to Australia in Melbourne. There we had our second child, Ian. And uh, fast forwarding, we moved to Italy for a few years and then to US uh, in Oregon first. And um, in 2005, I discovered Whitefish Montana. And I joined forces with the, who was at that time the initial, the initial founder of Nexion a transaction company, uh, my partner and friend, and I say older brother, Tom Nitopi, who had started the company here in Whitefish three years earlier. And uh, working with him and falling in love with Whitefish every time I came here for business meetings, I decided that that was going to be the next place to live. 
Great. Well, that was rapid speed for what all took place, right? Right. <laughs> so before Next Gen, was the industry similar? Was it uh, financial services or was it different? I've always worked in electronic payments, always. Since my uh, thesis, my doctoral uh, thesis was the first system in Italy in 86 to allow uh, cardholders of ADM cards to pay at the stores using their card instead of going first to an ATM, get the money out, and then shop at the stores. So all my life has been in that sector. So what NextGen currently excels at is something that you were involved with, whether with NextGen or not, that technology way back when it was just becoming available, right? That, that is correct, that is correct. Very interesting. And then you said uh, you met your wife in Singapore? Well, no, I, I met her while I was living in Singapore. She worked for the same company uh, at uh, headquarters, which was in, in Palo Alto, in, in near San Francisco. And uh, during a business trip, I, I would come back to U.S. one week every five. So imagine living in Singapore and coming to U.S. one week every five to meet with my management in San Francisco. And I met Jamie actually not at the office because I was warned by the attorneys not to ever find myself in any potentially compromising situation with anybody in the office. Being from outside of the US, we did not understand uh, the problems and the, se the sexual harassment issues here in the US as well as they did here. And, and so I met her outside uh, at a um, conference and I didn't know she worked for Verifor until she teased me saying, uh, that she saw me every every month and I always avoided to say hi to her. <laughs> <laughs> cool, I didn't, I've known you a long time and I just didn't know that little bit of information, so that's good. Now, part of your story or part of what uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit is uh, flying planes because it's something that I've known you to be passionate about. So when did flying planes become uh, part of your life? I, I sat inside the first plane I ever uh, piloted uh, 42 years ago. Before that, uh, at that time I was a teenager. Before that, I always uh, uh, flown uh, uh, remote control air models. I've always loved flying. I believe in, I don't have uh, hard statistics, but I would say 90% of pilots have a passion for it, if not more. So I've always loved flying, but, uh, and my mother, uh, uh, who was concerned about safety, uh, made me promise that I would never fly as a job because she knew that I would want to be a military uh, 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 pilot or work for the airlines. And so I was lucky enough to, to find a way to fly uh, general aviation, although now I have a commercial license and never become an airline pilot nor uh, a military pilot. And then recently you, you went on a, a major flying expedition. Um, Tell us a little bit about what that was, the pole-to-pole -pole circumnavigation. Like, yes. even when I've heard about it, it requires just a little bit of explanation of what it is and why it was significant. Right, they call people who fly aeroplanes around the world Earth Rounders. And uh, in 2015, a close friend of mine, we've known each other through being on a number of national safety boards in aviation analyzing accidents and giving, uh, helping new pilots to prevent accidents. Jack owns a Pilatus PC-12, which for the local people, it's the same aeroplane that uh, Alert flies, not the helicopter, the aeroplane. 
It's a single engine turboprop, which is a jet with a prop in front of it. Uh, very uh, spacious inside, very capable. And Jack invited uh, my wife and myself and another pilot and his wife to go for a round-the-world trip. This is a normal round-the-world uh, along the equator, uh, east to west. And we said, sure. So we flew for almost two months together and uh, we enjoyed it. The wives enjoyed it and we came home and I thought we were done. But a uh, few weeks later, Jack calls me on the phone and says, you realize that was a test? I said, a test for what? Uh, to see how we work together. Okay, what's the plan? He goes, well, my bucket list item was not this flight. This was fun, but it's a real mission. Nobody has ever flown a stock airplane, meaning no additional fuel tanks, no modifications, around the world, but not horizontally, meaning from west to east or east to west, but going north and south. So going all the way up, go over the North Pole and all the way down on the other side, under the South Pole and back up. And I said, Jack, is it even possible? He goes, I don't know. That's why we need the three of us <laughs> to decide. And indeed, we split roles. Uh, just because I spoke Spanish, uh, I got the hardest part, which was Antarctica from Chile. And it took us one year of planning. And it was beautiful because we are business people, project managers. We did it like a real project and uh, we accomplished it. So in uh, uh, January 2017, we completed the, the trip. So this is basically a lot of logistical planning that has to be perfect yes. in order to complete it because of all the different countries exactly and where things have to be located along the way the fuel fuel in antarctica was a major challenge our insurance needed to state that uh, uh, should we crash uh, they would come and pick up all the pieces to leave the ice cap clean uh, uh, we had to have spare gear on the plane because if you land in Antarctica and you have a flat tire, you block Antarctica for that area because you're sitting on the runway. So, and the paperwork uh, was pretty thick too. Well, and so clearly you know your thing, you know your way around flying airplanes and your company that you've worked at, actually I know for um, a while you guys used that skill in your company can you explain a little bit about yeah, that, is that aspect of you? Because you own a business in Montana and you have a pilot's license. I'm a partner in the business. I, I wish I owned it. Well, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm a partner. But, <laughs> Thanks uh, for clarifying. <laughs> uh, just before we move on, I just wanted to make a little point because I want to recognize another institution that is the Museum of the Rockies where they have a DC-3 called Miss Montana. And uh, that's uh, the dc Three, the military version was a cargo plane called C-47. And I just wanted to give them the merit because my next uh, most important enterprise was thanks to them. They invited me to fly this plane at the 75th anniversary of D-Day, last June 6th. And it's uh, very dear to my heart to have flown the plane as a jump seater from England to Normandy on June 6th, uh, launching jumpers out there on the beaches. And then the, later, as a, a co-pilot uh, from Normandy to Wiesbaden, was an amazing experience. So I just wanted to uh, put this out there too. No, that's amazing. In fact, I had seen a picture of you in front of that plane on like Facebook, and I actually didn't know what you were doing. And so um, 
as it is with you, you're probably doing something pretty amazing when you're you're, you're not just wasting time. <laughs> well, <laughs> when when you're when when I see Giuseppe out and about, he's got something going on, right? Not not as as amazing as David, I must <laughs> say. Well, so so time so the the pilot thing though played a part in run, in, in running a business in Montana. Maybe True. explain that a little. Bit. Yes, when we moved to Montana, uh, the connections out, out of Whitefish uh, through the airport Glacier Park International uh, were even less uh, uh, capable of what we have today. So really from here you could go to Salt Lake, Denver or Seattle. And uh, to do business nationwide, if not internationally, sometimes it was a little challenging. So I, I combined the gift I, I was given to be able to fly plane planes with the capability of the company to acquire at the beginning a small single engine uh, piston aeroplane, a beautiful Cirrus SR-22. Uh, for people who do not know planes, it's that plane with a parachute in case of emergency. And that gave us legs uh, to go to places like Boise, Idaho, Calgary, Canada. We had an office in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. All places that by car will take 14 hours to go to, more or less and with the plane was a couple of hours. So we started adopting the time and money saving power of having a little aeroplane. And then as we grew and we needed to move faster, we first acquired a small jet that we kept all for ourselves. And now we are working in partnerships and time sharing other, other types of aeroplanes. And, and based on that experience, is it primarily more efficient to use the private plane model or even the leasing combination or is it just preference because you get to fly if people yes. are wanting to run global yes. companies yes. in Montana? I would say yes to both. Yes to I have both. to be honest. Uh, first of all, uh, with me flying the plane uh, makes things faster and easier. Uh, but sometimes we have a pilot because sometimes I, I'm not part of that particular meeting so there is no reason for me to be the driver or uh, when we have a number of meetings uh, uh, one after the other in multiple places I prefer to fly the first leg of the day when I'm fresh and, 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 and rested and the pilot will fly after the meetings uh, the legs in the evening because I have meetings and I am not, I have not focused on flight planning the plane. So safety is always the first concern and uh, if, if I don't feel like flying the plane unless I have another pilot we, we're not going to fly the plane. Well. So it sounds like it's it's fun and it can benefit the company. Absolutely, absolutely. So so getting into running a global company out of Montana, uh, one thing I've noticed just in my business as a mortgage broker is it's easier than it's ever been for uh, people moving here to declare Montana as their primary residence because the way it works, companies can work globally just as a general principle and you can really call anywhere you want home. But I'm sure there's good and bad with that. So you've been working for a company, uh, like you said, your partner in it, that um, you're about more than 10 years, I guess now, out of Whitefish. What are the best parts of it? And then maybe just address that first, and then we'll talk about some of the other things. Uh, first of all, living in, in Montana, it, it's a unique lifestyle. So my children, my wife and I, 
embrace the lifestyle. It's mostly outdoorsy lifestyle. If you're into gardening and growing vegetables, it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, while if people like to go hunting and, and eat what they kill, it's more uh, indicate to be here in Montana. So there is a lifestyle concept. We happen to have embraced it and we love it. The schools were uh, medium to good. Uh, we've always half homeschooled our children because we wanted them to grow understanding both the decimal system and the imperial system being bicultural, so to speak. So we, we've done well, we're thankful about the education system and the lifestyle. There are challenges to where some needs that are fulfilled better in a larger city, uh, I would say cultural uh, uh, depth, although here we have two theater companies, uh, but sometimes you, know, you can do things in a city that are harder to, to do here in, in, in Montana. Uh, and on the other hand though, uh, the lack of traffic, which unfortunately seems to be changing now uh, for the worse, but mostly uh, I, I could even stop working at noon, have a bite at home, uh, have lunch with my wife if I want, and go back to work back at one. Uh, in a city this would be unthinkable. So the convenience of living in a small uh, town with a ski resort attached to us, with the uh, two national parks, if not three with Watertown, uh, all around us, it's a dream come true. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, I've noticed the, definitely the quality of life is why most people want to be here. Um, with the traffic though, I think all you have to do is go to a place like LA to do some business and you come Absolutely. back and you're like, you know what? There is no traffic in Montana. Uh, yeah, I, 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 was just, uh, I was just in Chicago for a board meeting. And by the way, that's where the plane was key because we flew five people to and back. Uh, by, and we saved two nights uh, at hotels by doing that. And I had a back-to-back -back meeting here in Whitefish that I couldn't have accomplished without a, a private flying. Uh, but that's an example. We went to Chicago and, uh, and I landed not in the big airport over here. I landed in an executive airport near to where we had the meeting. Otherwise, the traffic would have been two hours commute. Correct. So, so when you guys are hiring an employee right now, the company is, is basically corporately located in Whitefish. It has people all over the place. Mm -hmm. If somebody's applying for a job, are, does it make any difference to you guys if they live in Whitefish anymore? It, it depends. So first of all, after a number of mergers this year, we in USA have three headquarters now. We have one in Whitefish, one in Chicago, and one in Atlanta. Now, if the person is a customer-facing person, face-to-face, -face, the person needs to be wherever the market we're hiring for is. Otherwise, uh, we use the concept, uh, we say virtually. Where are you virtually based? And, and uh, I, people could be based anywhere there is a, a high-speed internet connection. We're always communicating by video uh, communications. And uh, my example, I only have one employee in my team that works in Whitefish. All my team is spread around the world. I have employees in Mexico City. I have staff in Manchester, UK, in Calgary, in Toronto. So even if I wanted them to work in the flesh with me, it wouldn't make any sense. And I could do So if you call a meeting, you're basically just firing up your internet connection and everybody's on the meeting. And we actually use a professional system, it's called Zoom, but anyone would work uh, uh, today. And the only concern is managing time zones. 
Perfect. So that's that's encouraging for people that want to live in Montana. That's what you guys are doing at this company. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything that you would want to like, you've, you've been able to do this for 10 years. If you could go back and draw a straight line to where you are right now, running a business out of Montana that's global in scope, is there anything you would have done a little bit more efficiently or differently that, that somebody who's thinking about getting started or just listening to this uh, would learn from that you guys could have done? And or words of advice. We, we have been a little bit of an icebreaker, like the ship that breaks the ice. Uh, and we love to be that way. That, that's the reason of the name of the initial company, NextGen, as always thinking the next generation of technology, of culture, of how to do business. So I have a hard time imagining a, a different way of pioneering something. But I do believe that there is room here for improvement uh, to where I think uh, the community has not yet managed to implement what I call uh, the incubator culture. I think that here in, in Whitefish or in Northwest Montana, we have some key ingredients for blossoming on new businesses. We have the brain power because the schools in the Northwest are amazing. They're very good from Fathead Valley Community College to Gonzaga to Bozeman to Missoula to uh, universities in uh, Seattle and uh, Washington and Oregon. So we have the brain power and, and, and students who come up in the Northwest normally love the Northwest and they love, would love to be here. So we have the brain power, we have the money and the money moves, the money crosses borders. Tom, my partner, gave a TEDx uh, uh, talk where it, it, it explained that the second country in the world for startups is Estonia, of all places, after US. Estonia was, is where Skype was born, as an example, and, and Skype was sold for $2 billion out of Estonia. So money moves. We have money here and we can attract money. Lifestyle. We have lifestyle. So what's missing of the key ingredients of making startups uh, blossom in this area is probably a way to facilitate these new companies uh, to where, you know, you, you remember the stories. Amazon was born in a garage. Google was born in a garage. But they don't stay in the garage too long. They move into maybe some empty space in Stanford University where they can work for free and can use computer space and they have support. So if we could figure out a way, and we played with the idea at Nexion, we actually have an area that is called incubation area, but we haven't opened it to other businesses. Uh, if we could think as uh, community leaders of ways to host startups in a, in a space uh, incubator-like, maybe that's the next step for us. Have you seen that in another part of the country where you were thinking it would be great to have it in Montana or is it more just a, a concept in general that everybody's going after? No, I've seen it work. Where, where is it done really well? Uh, in, uh, in the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, okay. So yeah. those, those three items that I listed that Tom put together years ago are three out of the four items that you see in the Silicon Valley. And the fourth is the incubation space. And then... When you guys were um, running the, the company, tell us a little bit about, I guess, just NextGen, where it's at right now, where you're at with it, just to give people a vision of what this company is, in case they don't know. Okay. I live in Whitefish. We kind of have some familiarity with it. So, so what we do, I call ourselves a system integrator of solutions for payments 
uh, at a business. So if I am a new shop in town and I sell um, uh, fashion items and I also sell them online um, and I need to start accepting a visa card, uh, I, I do not call Visa on the phone and say, hey, I want to start accepting your credit card because then I would have to call MasterCard and American Express and so on. Normally, I, I would go to my bank and ask, how do I do this? Um, well, we are a neutral company. We provide a complete solution to, that allows businesses to accept uh, payments uh, and manage their inventories, both face-to-face -face and online, and uh, by putting together all, all the components. And the raw material are things like a POS system, things like a pin pad that accepts your card, now Apple Pay, now people don't even swipe or dip the card anymore, they carry their phones and pay with their phones, and uh, all the software needed to run those things, all the security components, uh, you, heard, you hear things like PCI and, and various security items, and all the transactional side of it. So like magic, it still impresses me. I still have a bank account out of a bank in Milan. Like magic, I could pull out my card attached to that bank account, buy an ice cream here in town, and my money gets moved from my bank account in Milan to the bank account of the shop in Montana, uh, like, like magic. So to me, it still impresses me. And we're part of this uh, big, big transactional uh, Nation was born and grew up to having around 15,000 customers worldwide up until December last year. And then we were uh, targeted by a very good private equity firm, growth-oriented. These are people who invest other people's money in places that they hope will grow their money. And we put a plan together, they invested in us, and using that money and the power given by growing more quickly, in the last uh, seven months, we merged and acquired a number of companies. So the Nextion that had 15,000 customers in December now is changing name, is going to be called Payrock as a very stable player in the payment industry. We have almost 60,000 customers. We process $30 billion a year, and uh, we're very excited uh, to, to move forward. So tell me if I simplified this correctly, but it's uh, there's a relatively complex system of moving all that money around and your company makes it easy for somebody to have the ability to do that. We like to say frictionless. Yes. So we have a similar, in the mortgage industry, we, it's very complicated, but we want the consumer to think it's very simple if they just go through somebody that knows what they're doing. Absolutely. Right. And then is that type of thing, is that just kind of ongoing? Like, is it always going to be complicated? Therefore, you're always going to need something like what you guys are doing. I, I feel that way, like I'll just say, on the mortgage side, we always sit around wondering, will we eventually not be necessary? But then the complexity is always there and we're like, we can't actually imagine not being necessary. Yes, and, and, and I, I agree. And it, it's more than the complexity. It's the complexity, but it's the number of players in it. Uh, so to, to integrate all this number of players in a seamless uh, way to the uh, user in the end, uh, I think you need a neutral player. And this neutral player, if that player can add value, uh, we'll have a reason to be. And then tying it back to Montana, because of technology, 
And because of this being a relatively intellectual concept, you can be in Montana because you guys could be anywhere. That is correct. Well, that's great. That's great that you guys have decided to be in Montana. We're very time. thankful for that. Well, we could go on about so many things that you've done. Um, one thing I wanted to hit on, because when you mentioned it at the right before we went on the air, you've recently been an actor. Yes. Can you tell people real quick, what did you act in? What was the, the play? I, it was a beautiful play. It's called Over the River and Through the Woods. It's a story of two couples of grandparents that uh, are of Italian origin and they live in Hoboken, New Jersey. They have a grandson left nearby who gets an opportunity from his company to have a promotion and move to Seattle. Now, these grandparents who live in Hoboken, New Jersey, look at Seattle like if it's Mars and they try to figure out a way to keep the grandson close to home. It's a beautiful story. I did it as a challenge to myself. I'm, I think I am a very logical, rational individual. People say right brain kind of person. And being an actor was completely outside of my comfort zone. I could cheat myself and say, I'll push myself flying a different type of plane, but it's still flying planes while acting was amazing. And I, and I was blessed. I had a great director, David Ackroyd, who taught me a lot and a cast of other five actors. They were professional actors who taught me a lot. So I was very thankful for that experience. Well, I, at your recommendation, I watched it with my daughter and we had a good time. Thank you. And uh, having a Italian in America, <laughs> you seem perfectly suited for the job. Typecasting. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to try acting, what, what do you have to say uh, about whether they should or what should, what should they expect? I, I think if you have never acted, it's a very new experience, but it helps you discover yourself even. And uh, our community is blessed with two beautiful uh, theater companies, and they're all they're both very, very good. So I just read it uh, on the local paper. There was an, uh, an ad to audition, and I just went and auditioned. So I would uh, invite and, and challenge everybody to go and try and audition themselves. Well, Giuseppe, it was so great to have you here, and your experiences uh, speak volumes. As long as I've known you, you're the kind of person where if I were to reach out to you for advice or to ask a question, you'd respond back. So if anybody heard something on this and they reach out, Absolutely. if they can get a hold of you, you're going to respond yeah. back. LinkedIn through you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn. Giuseppe's on LinkedIn and uh, you Google them and Whitefish and you'll find them. Um, so just thank you for taking a moment out of your busy life to share with people what I think is a fantastic example of somebody making it work in Montana because you guys picked this place because you wanted to live here and then you made it work for your company to exist here and you've done a great job obviously as uh, proven by that recent uh, changes in your company that you described so uh, thank, thank you very much yeah. thank and, you. and th thanks for joining us and as i've mentioned in all the previous podcasts uh, we would like your feedback so if you have feedback put it on the facebook page let me know what you think if you have somebody that you think would be a fantastic example of making it work in montana through their uh, experiences in the outdoors or business of the community. Uh, let me know, we wanna make this a program that you the listener enjoy. So thanks for joining us.